through 13. We're just going to read that together. Our, our teaching text is going to be 12 and 13, but I want to read this together, kind of help us with context. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 13. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in, as in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In chapter 1, verse 27, there's a, a major a break there. Paul begins uh, to tell the Philippians to live lives worthy of the gospel. Live like you're a child of the king. Live like you've been born again. Well, what does that look like? And he tells us in the, in the following verses. We're to be steadfast and determined. We're to be unified. We're to be, uh, have the same goal. We're to be courageous. We're to, to know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. We're to, and why do we need to be courageous? Because persecution is coming. They must be willing to suffer. What does it look like to live worthy of the gospel? It, it, it means that we're to live humbly. And humble people, what do they do? They help. Well, has there been someone like that that we can emulate? And, of course, what Phil taught us last week is, yes, there is somebody that, that has lived that life, and it's Jesus, right? And he implores the Philippians to, to be humble to the extent that they become helpers like Jesus. And Jesus, he just sets them up. And he's, he's our exemplar. We have a, a great example of how we should live our lives. And it's Christ. So imitate him, Paul says. Jesus humbled himself by becoming a man. And he, he clothed his deity with humanity. He was so humble that he went to the cross. In verse 9 through 11, it tells us that because he humbled himself, Jesus was exalted. And the exaltation of Christ is different than what we see in the world. What we see in the world is push yourself to the top, right? Step on whoever you got to step on to get up the ladder. Promote yourself. But, but Jesus wasn't exalted that way. He's exalted because he humbled himself. And we, we see that throughout the scriptures. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 6 but gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the who? The humble. Yeah. Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Yeah, we see that in the scriptures, don't we? And it says, because Jesus humbled himself, he's going to be, he, he's given a name that is above every name. And what was the name given to Jesus? Well, Jesus, right? Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus means what? What's, what's his name mean? I mean, God saves, right? It's, just, it's the, the, the same name of Joshua in the Hebrew Old Testament. But the name given to him now, it's not just Jesus of Nazareth, but it's a name above every name. And he earned that name on the cross and by being resurrected. And he is Jesus. And it's interesting. Can you imagine naming a child Jesus? 
That's just wrong, isn't it? You would never consider doing that, right? Even though at the time of Jesus' birth, Jesus was a common name. But the name Jesus took on more significance after the crucifixion and the resurrection, did it not? Yeah, it means something more now, doesn't it? See, Jesus is not just Jesus of Nazareth, but now he's Jesus Christ the Lord. Now, it's not that Jesus wasn't Lord, he wasn't the Messiah before his death and resurrection. Yes, he was, but, but as one pastor said, but he had not fulfilled the mission of Messiah until he had died for our sin and risen again. And therefore, before his death and resurrection, the lordship of Christ over the world had not been brought to full actuality. I like that. I think that's clear. In order to be acclaimed Messiah, Lord, the Son had to come defeat the enemy, lead his people out of bondage and triumph over sin and Satan and death. So now he's given the name that is above every name. He's been given that name. At Pentecost, when Peter preached Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. He was, he's the Messiah and he's the Lord. And his exaltation happened because of Jesus' humility. And his exaltation is a reason for our humiliation. We should bow the knee. We should confess that he is Lord. In fact, one day, every one of us will. If you don't do it now, you'll do it sooner or later, right? But I wanted to point that out. Jesus is exalted because of his humility and what an example for us. Now, let's look at today's teaching text, verse 12 through 13. You see paradoxes in the Bible, and you see one here in 12 and 13. There are many paradoxes. Uh, in order to find your life, you must do what? Lose it, yeah. To truly live, you must die, right? Die to yourself, yeah. And again, to be exalted, you must humble yourself. We see those throughout the scriptures. Matthew seven fourteen. for the gate is narrow, Jesus says this, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The narrow way is hard. But a few chapters later, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29 through 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, which one is it? Is it hard or is it light? Well, it's both, right? And we see one of these paradoxes here in verse 12 and 13. We're told by Paul to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And then immediately we're told that it's God who is at work in us to will and to act according to his good purpose. And at first glance, it can seem kind of paradoxical or even contradictory. What is it? Do we work or does God work? Right? And the answer is what? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What we're going to see in our text today is that if you're a Christian, if you've been born again, since God is working the salvation out in you, you will work. You must work. This is one of those passages that meshes together divine sovereignty and personal responsibility. And these are complementary realities. And we have to be careful, Jerry. We don't, we don't want to fall in one of two ditches. You know, there's ditches on the side of the road. We, we don't want to be legalist and say, you know, we work and we got to do this and we have to do this and we have to do this in order to earn favor, in order to gain favor with God. 
We don't do things to earn salvation. That's legalism. But then there's a ditch on the other side, right, that's just evil believism that says, I just got to trust God, and it's, he's all going to work it out. I can just live my life. Well, no, we have to. There's a balance there, isn't it? A couple points from verses 12 and 13. The first one is work out our, work out our salvation, just what the Scripture says. One day we'll be like Jesus. So let's live towards that goal right now. Work out your own salvation. It should strike us odd, Mark, when you hear that verse, work out your salvation. I just think it should, if we're familiar with the Bible, it should kind of strike us, kind of make us maybe feel uneasy or um, seem odd to us. Because the word work there means produce or accomplish. And, and work and salvation typically don't, don't go together, right? Accomplishing something in salvation, that leads to kind of a works-based kind of mentality. We're to work out our salvation, you know? I, I know for me, automatically I think of Ephesians, what? Any scripture come to mind? I, I think of Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? For you know, for you've been for you've been saved by what? Through faith, right? By grace. And it's not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of work. So you see this. So for, for me, when I say, you know, work out your salvation, I, it, it's like, whoa, what about these other verses? It doesn't sit well with me at, at first glance. No, we're, we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not our own doing. It's a gift. It's a it's not a result of works. And then Galatians 2.16 as well. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. When we think works of the law, that means doing stuff, earning it on our own, right? But through faith in Christ. So we ha also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because the works of the law, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. So when you see this work out your salvation, it should, it should give us pause make us think uh, we can't earn our salvation we know that we don't do things to be justified to be acceptable by God we don't do good works to be saved on our own effort in fact the context if you look at chapter 1 verse 27 where we have this major break where Paul turns attention from himself and he puts it devotes his attention to the Philippian believers and starts admonishing them and teaching them from that point on Paul hasn't made any mention of how the Philippian believers were saved He's addressing believers. They're sinners who've already embraced Christ, and he's telling them to live worthily, live like a Christian, be steadfast, be unified, be courageous, be willing to suffer, be humble, be a helper, put others above yourself. Nothing whatsoever about how one is saved or justified. So context alone should tell us this isn't about works to salvation. So what does it mean to work out your salvation? Well, I think, first of all, it means to obey Christ. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, I think they've always obeyed, they've been obeying the Lord. So now, not only in my presence, but more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So I think, firstly, it's obedience to Christ. We need to obey the Lord. And, and secondly, I think we need to remember salvation is not just a, a one-time event. It is a, it, salvation is a past, present, and future reality for all who trust Christ. I mean, this verse in Ephesians tells us that we have been saved through faith. It's a, it's a past reality, isn't it? It's something that's taken place. 
This is referring to justification. That justification aspect of salvation, which one is declared righteous. This is a past event that took place the moment we placed our faith in Christ. For me, and we don't have to know our dates and times or whatever, but for me it was November 25th of 1990. That's when I was justified. That's when I was saved. Past tense reality, right? But salvation is a present tense reality as well. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So salvation is also a present reality. At the present, right now, us believers we who have been saved are being made more like Jesus. And we call that process the process of sanctification. So it's a present reality. It's something that's going on even now. But even though we're being made more like Christ a little each and every day, as sin is little by little eradicated in our lives, we still have sin prevalent in our lives. But, love that word, don't we? But one day, right? But one day in the future, we'll be like him. Sin will be eradicated, and we will be saved. We see that in Romans 5, 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood... That past tense reality, right? Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Shall we be saved, right? It's a future reality. At that point in time, our bodies will be freed from sin's corruption. We won't have to worry about pride and selfishness and deceit and all of those terrible things that we deal with every day, right? So when we work out our salvation, this future aspect is in mind. That's That's the point I'm trying to make. It's the future aspect. Working out our salvation, it's not the past justification aspect of salvation. No, it's the future aspect of salvation. Work out your salvation, right? He isn't talking about work so we can be saved or work to earn our salvation. No, he's saying we know there's a day coming we'll be like Jesus without sin, without all these tainted motives, without this selfishness. So let's live towards that goal now. That's what it means to work out our salvation. I mean, we've just seen in, in, in verses 5 through 11 this portrait of Christ Paul is painting with his words. He's shown us what Christ was like. He's humble and he's helpful and he's others first. So let's imitate him. Yes, one day you'll be like that, but right now let's work towards that goal. Respond like Christ at, at school, at work, at home. Respond and be like Jesus and how we act and how we live and how we make decisions. Work at being like Jesus. We've already seen this, this verse 127, this aspect of work and effort. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Those standing firm and striving denote this effort being made. It, it takes effort. And we, we, we work out that salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this fear, it's, there's, it's kind of a, a, another paradox we see in the Scriptures because we're told in Romans 8, 1, now there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we're told in Hebrews four sixteen, because of that, we have confidence. We ought to draw near to the Lord, right? To the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. No condemnation. No condemnation in grace. 
for those who are in Christ. You can draw near to the Lord, that throne of grace, right? But yet we're told to fear, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But I see Proverbs 14, 26, I think is a great help. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children would have a refuge. Isn't that interesting? There's this fear. It's not a fear of his wrath. It's a reverence. I mean, it's that, I mean, it's that keep it in mind, this is the God who poured down fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's, he's the almighty, all-knowing God, the one who created the world with his very words. He's the one in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, who, who says, the sexually immoral, the, the idolaters, the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, or, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will go to heaven. If they go to heaven, where are they going? Yeah, they're going to hell. So that there's a reverence about the Lord. There's a reverence there that we should have to work out our salvation. We know God is changing us. We're going to be like him. So let's live towards that goal right now. But we have to do it with effort. We've got to get after it, Jerry. We've got to get after it. And we, we do that with many aspects of our life. Some of us are really hard. I'm looking around. I'm seeing breadwinners and people who work really, really hard. And we do that in many aspects of our life. But are we getting after it trying to be like Jesus? Let me share a story about when I was in college. I was a biology major. And in order to graduate, you had to take a, a seminar class. And it was a, last year and... Um, it was a whole semester. You picked a topic, and you focused on that topic, and you, you had to write a paper on the topic. And at the end of the semester, you had to defend that, that topic before your, your classmates. And it was all of us who were graduating that, that semester in the biology department. And then you had to defend that to all your professors. And so it was quite intimidating. And so we spent a whole semester working on that. And I was, I was really serious about that because I knew I had to have this class, and I had to do well in order to graduate. And so I put the time in, and I, I made effort, and I, I, I worked diligently. And I tackled the issue of hypobilirubinemia in newborns. Um, and it's a really big word for jaundice. But you can't say jaundice when you're talking to your biology professors. You have to say hypobilirubinemia. And so I, I worked on that. And my friends, and I, had a, I was a youth pastor here at Beaver, and I had a, a student that, that had come, to, Beaver, I mean, come to, to, to Union where I was going to school. I was a senior, and I was coming back on Wednesdays and, and weekends working with students. And so I was busy with that, but I was also busy just trying to get through school. And this guy was a freshman up there, and he was really wanting to hang out with me and stuff. And he did, but he was like, man, I thought we were just going to be able to hang out a lot more. And I was like, buddy, I got stuff to do, man. I'm trying to get out of this place, right? Uh, and so I just really, I, didn't, I wasn't fooling around. I wasn't playing around. I had my game face on. You know, I didn't go play and I didn't go here, there, and yonder. I was just, you know, I had my game face on. I had things to do. I had responsibilities and I was trying to get it done. This was really important to me and I was working to that end, okay? And so I had to defend this, this thesis. All right, pause. I'm going to come back to that story and, and tell you how that went in, in just a, a second. But we strive and we get after a lot of things. We work hard. I'm looking around and seeing faces. Some of you are really hard workers. You're breadwinners. You're doing all this thing. And your kids, think about our kids. We really we encourage them to work hard. Work hard at playing baseball, football, uh, playing the guitar. Uh, it, you, we, we really get after our kids about doing well in school. You know, uh, Sammy, can you make a B at your house? Yeah. 
You see, Sammy, she says, you can't make, so what do they do? They get after him about, no, you got to get your grades because you can make all A's. And Sammy always makes all A's because he can't. So he should, right? But we get after our, our kids and one another about things, about sports and, and playing instruments and all these things because we want them to do well. We want them to work hard. And my, my kids, they, they play basketball. My two oldest girls play basketball, and I have a girl who cheers. And so I'm telling them all the time, work at it because it's a lot more fun if your skills improve. The, the better you're, you're, you play, the more fun competition is going to be. And so we kind of get after them about that. If we're going to do this, we're going to practice, you know. But I just wonder, people, I mean, we do that about so many things. But are we really getting after it and we really, you know, admonishing and encouraging our kids to get after becoming like Christ? So we get so distracted about doing all this stuff about math and back handsprings and, and ripping the cords on the guitar and your, your, you know, your free throw percentage or whatever. We, we're all about that. But I, I don't know if we're all that serious and diligent about ourselves and our children being like Jesus. For, for me as well, man, my... Am I really encouraging my children to get after it when it comes to important things? In order to be like Jesus, we've got to get after it. We've got to make an effort. It takes work. It don't just happen. You don't just slide into it or ease into it. No, it, you've got to work at it, you know? We have to be active in our sanctification. We have to work hard at obeying the king. Or we make an effort. You know, well, I know I've got to study the scriptures. I know I've got to be in fellowship. I know I've got to da, da 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 But I don't do any of those things. Hey, you're not getting it done. You're not putting forth the effort. And, and what's the result? Your maturation process is, is slower than it should be, right? And we work at our salvation in an individual sense, you know? Like I'm working at my salvation. Sammy's working out salvation. Amanda's working out her salvation. We're working out that salvation. We're getting after it, right? Doing things we need to do. We have sin in our lives. What do we do? We memorize scripture about that sin. And we, we, ha- we tell people, hey, I'm really struggling. Help me with this. Encourage me with this. And we, we pray and we're asking the Lord, just praying for him to take this from us and to help us overcome it and give us a heart like him concerning this, this sin matter, right? But, it, but it's... It's not just an individual sense, but it's in a corporate sense. And we're going to see that starting in verse 14 next week, Elizabeth. It's a corporate sense as well. We do this individually. We work, we get after it and work at it. But it, it's, it is a corporate sense as well, and we'll see that next week. But Paul isn't just telling us to get it done, just you know, kind of pull yourself up by your own bootstraps there, Reese, and, 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 and dig deeper, and you just do it on your own strength. No, Paul's not telling us that. He gives these Philippians this encouragement, and he gives us encouragement. Yes, the Philippians need to be working at their salvation, working at their sanctification. We need to be working at our sanctification. But more importantly, God is working at our sanctification. And that's our second point. Know that God is working for you so that you'll be sanctified. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
See, we know what Jesus is making us. He's, he's told us. He's given us a sweet, beautiful promise. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. The work he began in is he's going to complete. We're going to be like him. And so because we're going to be like him, he's, he's, he's making us like himself. We need to be getting after it. We need to be fighting against sin and, and, and seeking his face and drawing near to him and, and wanting to become like him and wanting to obey him in every area of our lives and giving him glory. But we don't do that to gain anything, merit anything. We do it because what God is doing in us. I'm so glad verse 12 is based on verse 13 and not the other way around, aren't you? We work because God is working. If God isn't working in us, then we aren't either. And what's he working on? He's working on our wheels. He's working on our want to. For it is God who works in you both to will, that's our want to, our desire. St. Bernard, he says this, Our will does nothing thereunto without grace, but grace is inactive without our will. Let me say that again. Some of you are going to text me and say, What was that quote again? And I always do that. If you want that, man, I'll send it to you. I'll send you my notes, whatever. Our will does nothing thereunto without grace, but grace is inactive without our will. Another pastor said this, man is in, in different senses entirely active and entirely passive, God producing all and we acting all. So God is working, Michael, and as a result of him working, we're working. And it's not working for gaining salvation because God's working the salvation in us. What do we do? We, we get after and we work. We fight against sin and we work to be like Jesus. Why are we here today? Some of you here today because you got nagged, or some of you you got drugged here by your parents. But most of us are here because we want to be here. You read the word this week. Some of you studied and, and sought the, the the Lord through the scriptures. Why? Because God is doing that work in you. Why are you here? Because God's doing a work in you. You want to be here. Wow, that's a work of grace. That's evidence of grace. God is working. You want to be at church. My family wants to be at church. We couldn't be at church last week, and we're all just devastated. That's grace. I want to be at church. I want to be with believers. I want to be with my family, my church family. I want to see them and love them and help them and encourage them. Yeah, that's evidence that God's working our lives. We share the gospel. We want to share the gospel. Why do we share the gospel? Because God's at work in us. He gives us a desire to do it. We've experienced grace and forgiveness. We want other people to experience it too. Yeah, God's at work. He's changing our desires, our wills, to work for his good pleasure. And I'm sure thankful he's doing it. And I see him working in your life. And I'm sure thankful for it. Back to my seminar class example there. I work real hard. You know, I put in a lot of hours in preparation for that defense. And... It, it came time for my defense, and I was pretty intimidated. It was a pretty weighty thing on my mind. And uh, the night before, I had my, my suit laid out. I had my, my paper that I had to return. I had, you know, I had proofread and proofread and proofread. And, and I had the final draft, and I had my note cards I was going to use for my defense. And uh, it, was, it was, you know, 10, 11, 12 o'clock at night, and I ran through my presentation. And I'd been studying this all semester. And all of a sudden, I couldn't say this word, hypobilirubinemia. I could not say it. I could not say it. I mean, I'm a, I could not say it. And I'm freaking smooth out. 
I've been studying all semester, and I had to have this, I had to defend this thing. And I can't even say the title to my daggum thesis. And I go to bed, and this is the wee hours. And I just, I remember going to bed, I set my alarm, and it, you know, it's three, four in the morning, and I'm just freaked smooth out. And I just pled to the Lord for mercy. God, if you don't help me, I'm doomed. Been saying this word for four or five months, and now I can't say it at all. Lord, what am I going to do? You've got to help me. And I, just, I just asked for grace and pleaded for help. And I, I, I fell asleep talking to the Jesus. And I woke up just a few hours later. The fateful time had come. And what do you think happened? I killed it. And you old people don't know what that means. That means I did real good. I hit a home run. I knocked it out of the park. You know, whatever. Uh, but, you know, I think about that. And it's, it's, it's just an example for my life. But, and it's not a perfect example. And don't try to dissect it too much because it will all fall apart. But I was really diligent. And I was working really hard cadence all semester. Man, I wasn't playing around. Like I said, I had friends of mine. Man, come hang out. Dude, I got, I got work to do. You know, I was diligent. And why was that? Because God was working in me. God was giving me the grace to be diligent and be responsible. And so I did that because God was working in me. And you know what? When I got up there and I said that word about 20 times, and I, I said it hyperbilirubinemia, and it didn't, didn't see, I can say it now. It's not a big deal, right? Just roll it right off the tongue. But that night before, I could not say it. And I can just tell you, I know that God helped me. He gave me grace. See, God's at work. He was at work even in that seminar class in my life. And so when it's all said and done, I, I did well. My, my, my professor, my favorite professor, he was like, brother, you did awesome. What can I say? Thank, 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 thanks so much. No, I said, God is so good to me. God's at work. So what do we do? Because God's at work. And he's going to accomplish this. He's going to accomplish in us. What do we do? We get after it. And we work towards that goal. Are you working towards that goal? Can you say in your life, man, I'm really working towards, really working, getting after being sanctified and being like Jesus? Part of being a Christian, part of the responsibilities of being born again is that we are active in our sanctification and pursuing holiness. We get after it in regards to being like Jesus. We don't do it as a means of gaining grace, but we do it because we've received it. God is working in us little by little, changing our wheels, changing us. That we'll obey Him and we'll progressively become more like Him. Paul's teaching us not that God accepts us and therefore no change is necessary in our lives. That's not, that's not correct. That's not what Paul's teaching us. Paul is saying God accepts you and therefore change is now possible in your life. See, God does the changing. Let's go back real quickly. We're going to close. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. How much do you contribute to your justification? You know, that's zero. That's none, right? How much do we contribute to that? Is it, is it our work? Is it our work? Absolutely not. It is God's work in you. Remember Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For you're saved by grace through faith. It's not of your works. You did, Paul's saying, paraphrase, you didn't do nothing. It's all a gift. It's grace, right? If, it's not, if you did something, it's not grace. But, Ephesians 2, 10. But notice, 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God's doing a work. He's changing our will. He's working in us. We get after it, fighting against sin, fighting against the flesh, not in our own strength, in his strength. So we can do the good works he's prepared for us to do. Growth in godliness is the work of God in us by grace, by spirit. But precisely because it is the work of God in us by his grace, it does require effort and it brings about effort. And we need to put forth effort. God is changing us. He not only has changes, he is changing and he will continue to change us. And that is hopeful and that is encouraging because God is at work in Jerry. Jerry can get after it, being more, trying to be more like Jesus. What's the application for us today? I think firstly, just off, off that first 5 through 11 passage, we talked about being exalted because you're humble. I think we need to be humble people. And what happens, God, he exalts the humble be like Jesus. Imitate him in that regard, people. We need to be a church that is full of humble people. You know, and sometimes we're not so humble. And you know what? We need, to, we, need, we need people to point it out. Hey, buddy, you need to tone it down a notch. You need to humble down a little bit. We need that sometimes because we're real prideful people. Our default mode is to be arrogant and prideful and boastful and better than everybody else. You and me, that's us, right? We need to be humble. He exalts the, the humble the second thing, I think, by way of application, because God is at work in us, we need to work out our salvation and we need to get after it. And, and is that happening in your life? Can you say, yeah, you know, I spend time in the Word and memorizing Scripture and fighting sin, and I'm telling people about my struggles so I can, you know, and I'm asking the Lord daily to take that from me. I mean, we have sin issues, but isn't it funny? We fight them, fight them, fight them, and I don't know, for whatever reason, we just kind of lay our guard down and we just kind of go with the flow. Sin's not eradicated like that. We have to continually bring that up to the Lord and ask the Lord for, for that help. But God is working in us. Can your marriage be better? Can you treat your husband better? Can you treat your wife better? Yeah, you can. Can you obey your parents and, and honor them? Yeah, you can. God is changing us, and, and, and you can. Can I stop saying all the foul language or the ugly words, or can I stop losing my temper God is at work in us I think we can can he help us overcome that stronghold in our lives that keeps that we keep giving into I think the answer is yes God is working in us to will and to act according to his good purpose so let's get after it and then and as that last thing I think is we always try to come to this every week it says work out your salvation with fear and trembling well this is we said is in reference to future grace, what God is going to do in us, this future salvation, right, of being made just like him, glorified, without sin. But if you're here and you've never repented and you never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, you can't work out that salvation. See, the work you're trying to do is, is a legalistic kind of work, being good, earning, right? If you've never repented, if you never turn from your sin, realize that you're a sinner and you can't save yourself and realize your only hope is Christ. You've never repented and trusted Christ's work on the cross as your own. 
then you're just spinning your wheels. You need to repent and you need to trust Christ today. Jesus became a man. It's Christmas time. That's what we're celebrating. Jesus, that deity, took on humanity. But he did that so he could go to a cross, so he could be resurrected, so he could save sinners like you and like me. If you never embraced Christ and trusted that he's, he not only became a man, but was resurrected, you need to confess that to the Lord. Whether you're a child or whether you're a student, whether you're an adult, you need to trust Christ today. If you have any questions about that, we would love to talk to you about that. I would love to talk to you about that, but there's a lot of people in this room that would love to be able to talk to you about that. It's a it's Christmas week. We've got a lot going on at church tonight. We're going to carol, bring some soup, and come eat. And it's going to be a sweet time of going and singing to our... You want to you bless some folks? You want to be blessed? You come tonight, and uh, we're going to sing to some of our shut-ins, and it's just going to be a sweet, sweet time. Um, Wednesday night, we'll have Bible study, and then uh, here in the sanctuary, we'll all meet together. Morgan's going to lead that. And then Christmas Eve service. You have family maybe you're getting together with, bring them if, you, if they're willing to come. 30 minutes. Blake guarantees you 5.30, we're done. He, he said it. Give your word, brother. Give it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but you're saying 5.30, you're going to be finished, right? He and Chris are going to do that. We're going to have a sweet time of, of focusing on Christ, taking the Lord's Supper. It's going to be a sweet time. If you're, if you're meeting with your family, just get them to try to meet you here. Maybe they're not believers or they're not church folks or whatever. It's not going to be a bad service to be a part of. It's going to be really sweet. We'll end singing some Silent Night. It's just a sweet time, kind of tradition we've tried to start. And maybe you could start with us this week, um, this year with your family. But it's going to be a really sweet time. Let's come on up, praise team. We're going to sing one more song. And, um, and we're going to be dismissed. Merry Christmas to you. We're going to be in, Lord willing, we'll be in Georgia. Uh, Pray that you have a great, sweet time with your family. If you have lost people, I'm praying. I've been praying um, a lot that you would have opportunities. If you're a believer and you're going to be around lost people, you'd have an opportunity to share the gospel with lost people. I want to pray, and then uh, we're going to sing one song, and we'll be dismissed. But if you need anything this Christmas season, uh, if you have any struggles, you have any needs, uh, please let me know. We got a lot. We got sick people, you know, in our church. And Mr. CC, uh, uh, he, he had a better day yesterday, and we're thankful for that. You keep pleading and praying that, that God would clear up his lungs. He would get to come home. And uh, we got some folks that are sick, but look, praise the Lord, people are, are um, coming out of quarantine and, uh, next week. Uh, hopefully have more people back. But let's pray, and we're going to sing one song, and this will be our benediction. Father, we do thank you that you've saved us. Lord, we, we're saved by grace, and I'm so thankful. Poor, pitiful, wretched, self-absorbed person like me, you've saved and Lord, you're, you're saving me now. You're making me like yourself even today. And I know one day I'm going to be like you. And I'm so thankful. We recognize it's your work in us. It's not anything we've done. We're so thankful. But Lord, you want us to, to make effort and get after it and obey you. And we ask you to give us extra grace this week to do that. That we'd study your word, Lord, that we, even as we're off of work for a day or two or, or a week, that we would take that time to study your word and draw near to you and fight sin. Lord, that we'd treat our family sweetly, that our husbands and wives would love each other and our kids would obey. And Lord, we'd just have a sweet time this week, worshiping you and drawing near to you, marveling at your goodness, that you, God, would come man 
to save us. Lord, give us boldness to share with our family members who are lost. Lord, give us wisdom to know how to bring up those conversations. Father, may we worship you this week. Pray for our services, all the things we're going to do tonight. May you keep us safe and healthy. And Lord, may we have a sweet time blessing people. Wednesday night, may that be just a sweet time as Morgan leads and as Blake and Chris lead on Christmas Eve. Just pray that that would be a sweet, sweet time. You just probably bring whoever you want to bring. Lord, we'd love to see people saved this week, people in our families, people in our workplaces, our neighbors. Use us to that end in Jesus' name.